0: in the second half of that I was like kuh, 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 kuh. I literally just <laughs> fell on my face and I was like I'm done like I was like oh okay tap out <laughs> like yay okay I'm done <laughs> I'm not doing that again I'm done I'm done. good I'm good done. cut the cut the cameras <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome back to another episode of Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people you need to know with the stories you want to hear. Today, I am joined by another good friend of mine from the industry. He has been in this for a while. (laughs) Movies, music videos, artists. He's worked with Madonna. He's worked with Michael Jackson. He was in the cult classic movie Showgirls. He was in Disney's Newsies uh he's been a recording artist himself he's been a high fashion model around the world as well uh, we're gonna get into all that good stuff and more i am talking about my friend mr kevin stay in the house what's up case dizzle hello hello, hello. how are you sir <laughs> thanks for having me dude thanks for being here you're uh you're one of the legends of hollywood and the dance scene like for me to be able to call you and be like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, thank you. Thank you for being here. And now we're <laughs> going to share with the people who you is. That's just what we do. <laughs> oh, <thank
0: you. laughs> All right. So I always start. I... It's okay. To, it's okay to say, it's, it's okay to say dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> we say timeless. I embrace that. Term. No.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Legendary. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> so, um, your. are you're, you're you're one of the few people that is actually from Los Angeles if I'm not mistaken. Correct?
0: Yes, yes, I was born in Hollywood, actually at Hollywood Presbyterian. Um moved around quite a bit and um eventually came back to go to school at USC.
1: Nice. Like most people that live in Los Angeles are from like Kansas, <laughs> New York. They're not from LA. This dude is actually from LA. Uh
0: well, I can't say that I completely identify my history as an LA native because, because you moved around so much I spent a lot of I moved around so much I spent a lot of time in Michigan With my grandparents My grandmother and great aunt mm-hmm. um, And so that definitely gave me A much more midwestern upbringing uh-huh. And then I really consider Eugene, Oregon as my hometown Ooh. So my roots are far more My roots are far more granola Than <laughs> a typical LA person
1: Why Why Eugene, Oregon? Why, why, why Eugene, Oregon?
0: If <laughs> <laughs> Funny uh, funny background to that is that um, back in my day when nuclear war was an actual credible threat, um, my mom heard on the radio at one point that Oregon, and particularly Eugene, Oregon, was one of the more likely places to survive nuclear fallout. Because of the wind patterns, uh, the nuclear radiation fallout would most likely go around Eugene. And so we actually moved there as a pre- preventative measure, as a protective measure to survive the nuclear holocaust. Wow. As one does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. At what
1: what age were you during this time? How, okay. How long were you in Eugene, Oregon? And, how, and what age range were you there?
0: Uh, I believe I moved there when I was almost eight or had just turned eight. Uh, and then I was there until I was like 11, I moved away for a year and then I moved back for a year and a half. And then I moved away for good, uh, when I just was turning 14, I guess, And I went to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and then off to Singapore and then back to LA, Singapore,
1: hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Singapore. <laughs> this dude has so many more dimensions than I even thought I knew. Um, so were you moving around so much because you're, you were uh, military?
0: not brat but a military kid or um i just like to say i was a terrible kid and i was like i was the, the bad boy but that's not so that's not true at all <laughs> <laughs> i was such a nerd that i kept moving schools to go to better schools because i insisted on in having a good education oh um yeah that's uh, not what you I, normally I hear no it wasn't military at all in any way uh it really had more to do with uh, my stepdad, adopted father, being a professor and changing residencies, because um, when we moved to Oregon to escape nuclear annihilation, <laughs> he—it's <laughs> he, such a strange phrase to hear now, but it was real back then. <laughs> um, he stayed in in uh, in Los Angeles and was commuting like three days a week to Oregon and, and teaching classes in LA like in, during the same week. So he was commuting back and forth from Oregon to LA. Uh, so just to put it in so perspective
1: then- for people as well, this is not during current time where travel is that accessible between Oregon and California. This is, a num- as he's talking about nuclear <laughs> holocaust, was a thing of social concern. So just think about that time frame of his stepdad commuting between the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., in California, just put that in perspective. Sorry, yeah. continue.
0: It was a lot. I don't know how he did it or why, or you know, I, I, yeah, it was, it was a lot. But he eventually was. It was, it was difficult for him to maintain that, mm-hmm. and so he took a position in Milwaukee, uh, and we moved to Milwaukee. Right, uh, you know, in when I was in middle school, and it was a horrible move for me. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, although I lived in a gorgeous house on the lake, like three stories, I had the whole top story to myself. It was so desperately lonely, Uh,
1: um,
0: desperately lonely. And you don't have any siblings. uh, No, you don't have, do you have any siblings? Uh, I do, but they're all half and step and two of them weren't even born yet at that point. Um, and I didn't, I'd never met my half sister. I, my stepsister was living in like China or France. She was in France at that point. Um, so I grew up as an only child. Uh, and the school I went to was not on the lake in the fancy area or whatever. It was like inner city, Jackie Robinson, middle school, Mm very, very, very few white kids, very few of of ethnics of any kinds, you know, other, other than the black kids downtown. And it was, and some of the Hispanic kids. Um, and it was just a, it was completely different from say the sort of real whitewashed Oregon upbringing. And not to say that's better or worse. It's just that it was a different experience and there was a lot of crime and stabbings and theft. And I got choked out right on the stoop of the school. What? Like to the point of fainting, like unconscious, um, Like I had shit stolen right off, excuse my language, right off my neck and had to chase after kids to, to get my shit back. Um, it was, it was rough and it took an hour at least to get to school, hour and a half, a little over an hour, like on the bus in, you know, minus 40 wind chill. Ugh. Um, it was a lot. I mean, it was a lot. And how long, how long were you in Milwaukee? It was just a year, one year. Brutal year. Uh, But it. It was challenging because I was I was excelling in my subjects, and then you know, like my English class, I always use this as an example in my my English class, we were going at the pace of the slowest kid and the slowest kid was struggling to read mm. and I was way, way past that and um and it it, it felt now, looking back, all it does for me is highlight the disparity of education in our system in the country mm-hmm. and it makes me realize how absolutely fortunate I was to have this incredible schooling and, and kids around me that were basically competing as nerds to do, see who can get better grades and who can do the best of this and excel. Yeah. And yet here in, in this school that I was going to people were, were struggling more on the level of survival. Huh. They're just trying to get by, you know, trying to really, you know, just make their way. And when I didn't get into the high school, I wanted, um, that's when I, I, I stepped up to my parents and just said, Hey, this is not happening for me. Um, I want to go back to Oregon where we were just were. And I moved away from them back to Oregon and they stayed in Milwaukee. Did you have family in Oregon still, or did you just go teenage solo? Um, my grandmother was there. Uh, I went to stay with my best friend's parents. Um, oh, wow. And that was an experience, a real experience. Cause um, they're kind of self-proclaimed, I don't know if they're anarchists per se, but certainly <laughs> socialist slash want to be communists, you know, protesting everything. And, you know, they were living in this, this house that was meant to be torn down. And they're like, no, we'll live there. And my room was a shed that had a door to the outside that wouldn't close. And it was freezing and there was no heat. There was like one vent in the middle of the living room. And we in the morning, we'd get the blankets and we'd all three of us, me and him and his sister, hover over the vent <laughs> to get warm. And it was like an open door policy to everybody. So there were like constantly people in the living room, like passed out. We wake up and all these random people in the house, you know, doing shrooms or smoking pot or hanging out and eating all the food. I don't remember there ever being food in the fridge. Um, it was it was not what a normal, I, well, for, for us, I suppose it was normal at the time um, in hippie Oregon. But <laughs> it's funny, it could have gone many ways. For others, it could have been a, you know, the 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 jumping off the cliff and off the cliff and, so you know, a pit of despair. Right. But for us, we just looked at it like, oh, that's not going to be us. That's not what we want for our lives. We're going to we're going to do better than that. We're going to excel. We're going to be capitalist pigs. <laughs> 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 You're always trying to be the opposite of what your parents are. Right. So I was like, just looking at them, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't want to be living off welfare and food stamps. I want to like, I want a nice car and I want heat. <laughs> I want food in my fridge. Like. Okay. So and, how did you get from one vent living room to Singapore? Uh, well, my, once I moved away to Oregon and my parents were staying in Milwaukee, um, uh, I ended up living with my grandmother for a little bit in Oregon because she was still in Eugene. Mm -hmm. Um, And they wanted me to live with them again. And so they said, let's go to Santa Fe. And there's this really good school outside of Santa Fe called the United World College. And if if you come with us to Santa Fe, you can go to that school and you can apply. Um, And so I did. And another town I wasn't very fond of, um, maybe it's just because I loved Eugene so much, Mm -hmm. And had really good friends and a really good experience. But once I got to Santa Fe, um, like I applied life. to that school. I, I did. It was you know it was freedom. Uh, I had freedom. Yeah. I could get, I could I could get anywhere. I had a bicycle that would get me all around town. I didn't really have a curfew or time on my on my schedule because my parents weren't there. Yeah. And their parents weren't really there, so it was really up to me. Which again could have gone either, either way. Right. <laughs> I, I could stay out till one in the morning. <laughs> but then it was on me to get up in the morning to go to school and to find food and eat and all of that like finding food was also a daily activity it wasn't like oh i'm going home and there's food it was like okay let's try mcdonald's and get some game pieces and then pull the game pieces to get free food or let's go under the bottle caps and pull out the inside of the bottle caps or they get you know the free dollar or 10 cents or free coke or let me get like pull coins out of grates with gum on a string like that kind of fine food um, you were so su- you're, a, su- you're <laughs> a survivor dude <laughs> well the thing is back then it was like well that's what you do right you want a piece of candy go go find some freaking change on the ground you know mean that if you want to eat something go look for cans to return yeah for 10 cents
1: that's when i i we used to, we used to uh, collect uh coke bottles and cans all the time because that was that was like this is my money this is what i'm going to do it wasn't It wasn't anything about, at that point, it wasn't like, I'm going to be recycled and I'm going to be a good, (laughs) I'm going to be good for the environment. It was like, no, 10 cents. Okay, if I get, if I get three bottles for two cents each, because we used to have penny candies where like literally the candy Mm -hmm. cost a penny. So you would get as much as you possibly could to stuff your pockets at the store. Okay, I want this one. I want that. Dude, okay. So I know, I know what you're getting at. I know what you're getting at. It wasn't
0: survival. It's just what it was. Just what it was, and it's like I think there's there's a difference between some people sort of taking that as that was it means something about them Mm -hmm. that they had to do that to survive. But I I I never felt that way. I always Mm -hmm. just felt like, well, this is what we got to do. If I want that, this is what I got to do. Right. I got to make it work. Mm -hmm. You know. Um. So I applied to that school in Santa Fe, outside of Santa Fe, and they sent me to the one in Singapore, which was. A sister school. There's like, there's like (laughs) at the point at that point there were, there were like seven (laughs) schools around the world at that point. Now there's like twenty or something. Um, And they're they're wonderful schools. And I've gone on about this in in many other interviews and stuff. But United World College, go look it up. UWC. Okay. uh, Fantastic program. They they're they try to create world leaders, foster intercultural exchange, um, create you know leaders. in, in, in each other's communities who stand for, you know, ethics and and values and and um, social change mm. and all of that good stuff um, by educating uh, very heavily and also by putting students of varying ethnicities and backgrounds and nationalities in one space together. And then you realize that it's just one small world and we're just a part of a a global community and it really created this sense of being a global citizen uh in me uh so anywhere i go in the world i feel a bit at home at home or or at ease i suppose nice uh
1: so what was your sing you obviously liked the school but what was your singaporean experience like
0: um Very challenging at first because, again, there was no Wi Fi or internet back then. (laughs) So I had no idea what I was walking into. I actually brought like some wool jackets and things with me. And of course, I opened the airport, the airport sliders opened and instantly soaked. (laughs) 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 Instantly. (laughs) Tropic humidity. Instantly drenched. (laughs) Like drenched. (laughs) Like just insane. Because inside was like all AC. And then outside, the difference, like, Everything in my bag, everything was wet inside my suitcase from that, just from that difference of going from inside to outside. Um, It was very, very humid and hot. Uh, Not like India desert hot, but um, tropical hot. There was this beautiful monsoons. Um, I felt for the first time a bit at home, surprisingly, Mm -hmm. because uh, I saw all these mixed people around me. Singapore is a melting pot. Cool. There's four national languages, Tamil, Malay, English, and uh, uh, Mandarin. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the first time I'd ever been around mixed people. You know? You're know, um, mixed yourself, right? I am mixed. I'm half Chinese and half, uh, like, I guess, Welsh slash Scottish or something. Um, but again, growing up, I always felt like a bit of an alien, a bit of an outsider. Um, and I... You know, I I put a lot of um, I have a lot of gratitude for my family that made me feel special and not different, mm-hmm. um, and I think that just that distinction has given me a lot of power in embracing myself, accepting myself in the face of whatever's coming at me. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. So when I got there, it was just it was really beautiful to see. You know, all these all these mixed people. Um, it was scary. Um, I felt very stupid for the first time in my life. <laughs> I suppose I felt I would always felt really, really smart all the time. And then all of a sudden i was like, Oh, I'm unprepared. <laughs> not, not, um, I, uh, yeah, I was also 15 and a lot of the students were older than me. Mm. Some kids in my same year were like, you know, 18, 17, 18. I actually skipped two years in Santa Fe, from high school to then go to take these years in Singapore that gave me college credit. Were you that, um, were you not, I was just, that was going to sound so horrible, but I was going to say, were you that smart? But, <laughs>
1: but like, <laughs>
0: <but, laughs> were is a good, <laughs> good way <to> put it.
1: <laughs> but no, because you, because you were like, I want, well, no, because you, because you mentioned a couple of times in uh, you changing around that you were really, quote-unquote a nerd looking for like your better education stuff but like that just sounds like a, a kid just like oh i just really want to go into studies but you skipped two years of high school and went to singapore like that's some doogie hauser md type shit
0: <laughs> i don't even put it like that because again in Comparing yourself, what there's no not that much value in comparing yourself to others. But when I was young, I would compare myself to other kids in my classes and other kids in my school. Mm. And I just happened to have a school that was full of kids that were excelling.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Um, like really excelling. Like I remember being in sixth grade, and and there was a kid next to me, this little short little kid with the red hair, who was in college math, and I was in sixth grade. So, and he was like off at the university taking university math um and so it wasn't that i'm a genius it was that the people around me were excelling and i i'm competitive so i excel mm, also okay and and so when i would go to these other cities that were uh, more disadvantaged like milwaukee or mm. santa fe um that were not as scholastically oriented I was just way ahead of everybody. so when I went to Santa Fe uh, to take my classes, I was already taking senior classes. ah okay, because I was just that's just where my level was at. so mm-hmm. I just started taking all the senior classes and that's when they were like, oh, we'll let you jump ahead and and go off and just do that. I didn't have to, but it just it made sense and it was yeah, easier got it um yeah, I again, when I got to Singapore i I felt stupid because again, <laughs> this is internationally scholastically enhanced kids (laughs) you know because these are like these are really really freaking smart kids who had grown up in that system in the english system um which i realized the american system is about memorizing facts Mm -hmm. and regurgitating a fact yep as though it's a fact Uh, and most other international systems are based on hypothesis you know and and proving your own theories Mm -hmm. and presenting something and using critical thinking to sort of prove your hypothesis and we don't have that. We're we're just regurgitating, and that's dangerous. Yeah, in a society that is dangerous. That you're just sort of throwing back. Oh, this is the truth. So I'm giving it back as the truth instead of actually saying, is it the truth? And then mixing it around in your own baking, you know, men, uh, recipe, and then putting it back and say, no, this is what this is what I'm presenting as a possible truth not even as the truth but as a possible truth
1: i was going to mention that
0: there's everything's an impossible
1: i was going to bring that up that you know there's in the u.s education system we're not even really allowed to question a lot it's just do Mm -hmm. and perfect do you remember bubble bubble tests for math where Uh uh-huh i was i was super i was (laughs) i was also a nerd growing up but we're just going to leave that in the background but like So, for people that don't know, these bubble tests were—you had this thing where you inserted a piece of paper and it had like fifty or hundred circles in it, and it had math equations, and you had to do them in a certain amount of time. And of course, being a competitive person myself as well, you wanted to be the kid that finished the like the bubble test first. So it wasn't really about learning math, but it was about remembering Mm -hmm. what these equations were, so that by the time you did them, you were like, "Oh, I know this, boom!" But in the U.S in the U.S. education system, that showed your proficiency of mathematics because you could memorize these sequences and stuff. I don't think I ever really learned math. I just learned looking at what number combinations were together. So I could, as you said, regurgitate patterns as a machine. Like, literally, it was a machine. Just spit this information out as fast as you can. And that goes with uh, history as well it's the way that all that is presented. It's just like, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to remember. Tell me what I told you versus, so why did this happen or where did this come from or
0: anything like that? I mean, history, was a whole other section. I actually, I didn't know I had to sign up for all my classes. Like the day I arrived and I got there and I had to sign up for, here's my classes that I'm going to take for the next two years. (laughs) Everyone else had been Everyone else had been thinking about this for three years. What am I going to take as my higher subjects? Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, check, 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 check. Like, okay, I'm going to learn about this for two years. And history was the. I mean, I just chose the things that were familiar to me: mm-hmm. English, history, business, maths. You know, like, <laughs> like the most boring <laughs> subjects ever, like the worst, the worst. And uh, and of course, when I got into history, I realized, oh, none of this is American history. <laughs> none of it. <laughs> like, who cares about American history? Like, it's all about this global perspective. You're looking I mean, it was like, oh, we'd only, I realized that then that I'd only been taught American history or at least even bits and pieces from everything was from the American perspective only. Yeah, And this was being taught as like this global perspective. Like, you know, my, my essay was to what extent is Israel responsible for this war, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Like you have to look from, you've been talking about different wars, different countries and what are their motivations and why. And you know, and and it was all based on proving things, or how how well do you prove your hypothesis? Yeah, I mean, our English essays were all like, "God is dead," discuss. and then you're like, ah, oh. <laughs> like in, if you're an American in an American system, you'd be like, what? Like, but because the way the English system is set up, you then go, okay, what do I have in my back pocket? I have D.H. Lawrence, I have Wuthering Heights. Okay, I have all these other things. I can, I remember this quote from there that said something about you know god is you know god is alive and everything like god is in everything so that we're alive therefore god is alive like you start proving all these different hypotheses and you can like create a cohesive thought just from showing you know it's about discussing intelligently whatever this you know posit is um and the, the 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 crazy part about uwc versus american system is that you take your two years and it's not like you're learning, throw it away, learning, throw it away. You have to take exams at the end of two years that are your grades for the entire two years. And the exams are essays. It's not check the box. It's it's God is dead, discuss. Here you are four hours, you write this essay and you write it as much and as fast as you can as with com- you know complete and thorough as you can in those four hours. And that's your grade for the entire two years. And you're there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: did, 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 did you hear the pause? It was just like, where, where do I, go? where do I go from here? So, but you were there from 15 to 17.
0: 15 to 17. And yeah. And I, I, again, I, I, I lately, it's so funny. I keep talking about UWC a lot. I, I, you know, even like Maria Chino was like, what is this place? You hold, hold it with such reverence. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Like, it gave me the skills to handle everything in life, yeah. not not just because of, oh, yeah, the theory of knowledge. Yes, yes, yes. But time management, holding on to information over time, mm-hmm. learning how to express oneself in in a critical thinking and logical manner. Um, uh, it, they even force you force you uh, strongly suggest <laughs> uh, that you participate that you participate in in the arts mm. and that's actually why I started dancing S- that was TV. my next
1: question that was my next question because we've now talked yes. about
0: 17 years of you being a nerd sorry to put it that way but you presented <laughs> it that way we didn't <laughs> even talk about my dungeon we didn't even talk about dungeons and dragons and comic books and all those things <laughs> I used to
1: do yeah. so how so when did dance come into this? and how did dance come into this equation
0: well in in oregon i also did gymnastics at the national academy of institute gymnastics where tracy talavera came out of had a whole olympic track and everything and i uh i took it until i had a a knee situation i won't call it an injury because it was a situation okay jumper's knee when you when you outgrow the ligaments in your in your knee Uh, and so my knees would start giving out. I'd be walking along the street and literally would fall to the ground because my knee would not hold myself up. And there, the doctor said, if you don't stop right now, you will never walk again. How old were you? So I was like, Oh, 12. (laughs) What? Okay. That's, that is a medical, like
1: that's some dramatic type shit for a doctor to tell with 12. Like I get what he was saying, but like, Listen, twelve-year-old kid, you don't stop doing this now. You're never going to walk again. Twelve-year-old kid, okay, I'm going to
0: stop right now. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know that I even took it that seriously. I did <laughs> stop, but I only stopped for like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it some rest. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll give it a give it a minute. And and actually, you know what? I will uh, I will credit Milwaukee with saving my knees. Mm. I will let's take a positive from that. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than like, oh, I suffered because I, I met some really cool people. Uh, I I found Prince. Yeah. I found The Time. Hey. I found New Wave. I found New Wave clothing at Chess King and Merry-Go-Round. Merry-Go-Round! Bruce- yes! <laughs> I found Bruce Lee karate movies <laughs> by myself in the middle of the afternoon, double features. Like, I will take all those things from Milwaukee. Like, you gave me that. You gave yeah. me all of that. Um, yeah, what was I saying? What was the beginning? It saved, <laughs> it saved your <laughs> knee. It saved your knee. <laughs> it saved my knee because I went to Singapore. I went to uh, Milwaukee, and they didn't have gymnastics programs, and so I wasn't doing gymnastics. And that was right after my injury. Mm-hmm. And so I was there for a whole year, and then I came back to uh, Eugene, didn't do gymnastics in Eugene. So that was a good two years off my knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I got to Mil- uh, Santa Fe, that's when I, I got back into the gymnastics team. And also where I joined, I did a meet and that was my last meet because it was, let's say it was early on in my Santa Fe moment. And so the altitude was different.
2: Yeah.
0: And I hadn't done my full like tumbling routine full out even once at that point. And I was like, well, I'll just go for it. And I went and by that last path, I couldn't do it. And I, but I went for it anyways. And I went, I literally felt, I went, uh, it was like a back handspring layout, back handspring into another layout. And like, in the second half of that, I was like, I literally <laughs> just fell on my face. And I was like, I'm done. Like, I was like, oh, okay. Tap out. <laughs> like, yay. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. I'm done. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, okay. cut, the, cut the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the more embarrassing moments, of the, probably at that point in my in my life, the most embarrassing moment of my life. <laughs> we, all
1: have, we all have one of them. I'm not going to tell mine, but we all <laughs> have one of them. Yeah. So yeah. You so you grew up doing gymnastics, and then you go to Singapore, and
0: they introduce you to the arts. Uh, my gymnastics coach in in Singapore uh, had this great vision of um, doing gymnastics meets dance, called Jimtari. <laughs> Jimtari. Jimtari. <laughs> and it was, was that an really, actual name? Wait, I'm sorry. Was that an actual name? that was the name of the show we did called Jim Tari yeah Jim Tari ha ah, yeah. and it was great it was really great i mean we had a great time it was like dance meets gymnastics and this really dramatic music and we're all in leotards and yeah um but whatever looking at i actually have it on, on video um i would love to it see was, this yeah it's a lot it's a lot um it's a cringe worthy definitely a cringe worthy <laughs> moment but very ahead of its very ahead of its time Uh, And for Singapore, it was amazing. Uh, And that's what I first understood. Oh, I can learn choreography Mm -hmm. around gymnastics. Um, And then other people started asking me to be in their shows. And I said, yes, all the time. So before I had any class ever, uh, I was in tons of shows, Mm. just doing whatever they told me to do. And one of them was like an African spiritual. They were like, here, you're Jesus. Put on this outfit. Now just dance to this african i was like okay here i am jesus like (laughs) it was (laughs) no training no nothing but just but it was interesting because that's where my dance even still lives in me now is it's it lives in this space of where is it coming from and who am i in this piece not from what are you telling me to do okay i will go through the mechanics of it Yes. Having that perspective shifted everything because literally on stage every night, I had no idea what I was going to do or where it was coming from. I knew the music, but I was, I would let the music inhabit me. And without any training at all, I'd be like giving whatever my body would do, but I would let it come through me, whatever my body felt I would express. And that freedom of sharing and expression is what keeps me in this to this day. Which, that's if you think about it, in the middle of
1: it—that's that's the essence of dance. If you go, if you go 100%. to a club, if you go to a club, whether it's whether you're housing, whether you're, it's a hip hop club, whether like if you jump, it's a spiritual release because you let the music take over you. You can never ask me to repeat something if I'm on like if I'm freestyling in a club or in a circle or something because I have no clue. As you said, it is no literally idea. whatever comes out of me at that point is what I was supposed to do. And yes. I don't remember anything. I don't see you. I don't see the world. It is just me and the music. So you were a, I want to say a revolutionary, but
0: you were ahead of, you were ahead of the scope. I mean, I guess it was an inst- instinctual thing. Uh, like for me now, I, I, I like dance and choreography
2: mm-hmm.
0: are completely different worlds for me. Like, it's so weird for me to when dancers, like, oh, yeah, then I became a choreographer. I'm like, they're different things. Yeah. <laughs> like, completely different things. Like, dance is this internal release mm-hmm. that you're just out and again, disappearing. And just like you said, you can't repeat it. So, for me, to like, I, I do both, but I don't use the same parts of my brain for both. Cause, right. Cause choreography is the, this process of observing down to the minutia. Of mm-hmm. every movement, the timing, the musicality, blah blah blah. What does it mean? Was it saying all those things? And so it's the opposite of disappearing into it. It's this intense scrutiny of the movement, yeah. and then turning that. So for me, like dance is an dance is the expression, and choreography is an art. Ah. like because the choreography is a choice, and the dance mm-hmm. is like this this free expression for me. Um. So I get different things out of both. I don't know that I ever thought. Well, no, I know I never thought that dance would be my life. Never, never in a million years. Never thought in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Never, okay, never, so, never. So after playing
1: uh, African white Jesus. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. How, <laughs> totally. <laughs> how what, ha, like, did you come back to the States after Singapore and go back to LA? Like, what,
0: how did. My <laughs> <laughs> two and a half years in Singapore finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a little tour in, in England. We took a, a whole show over there called Ishoni, which means together in Japanese. And uh, it was like a Japanese kabuki meets jimtari uh, <laughs> with all set all set to a queen soundtrack, but live. Like our band actually played these queen songs. And then we're giving you full like, once, live, forever. And we're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> it was... Is this on video? It was kind of a somewhere. I That's one I don't have. I really want it though, because there's, there's this, I think now back to doing this this move and I'm, I can't even imagine doing it now. Like we did, I did this whole battle with my friend Sean and, mm. and I have two swords and I'm in this giant headpiece. There's pictures. I'll show you pictures of the outfit and it's big. It's giant vest and heavy and the, 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 the bottom of it like spreads out to here. So it's like really huge and thick. And I we're having this battle with the swords and everything. At one point, I literally I run up on the wall, flip off the wall, turn immediately and run to do a whole tumbling pass over him with upside down with my swords in a full layout, but like fighting swords upside down in a layout. And I there's a the, the picture was on the cover of the Singap- the Straits Times in Singapore, and I don't have it. <laughs> Like, cause they got this shot of me, like in this crazy line, like that, like my whole, like my legs are here and my like swords are here. And I'm like, hi And Sean's down on the ground going, <laughs> <laughs> and like, I didn't even know how I was flipping with swords in my hands, like just getting into it. Like just the roundup alone with the swords in my hands. Because you were, and I'm, you were I'm dancing. Mystified. Cause you were dancing. It, and of course, and of course at that point I will do anything. I yeah. wanted to try and do everything. I mean, isn't that the point of being a teenager? <laughs> Let's do and try everything. So now you're to- so now you're already without even knowing you're a touring dancer. Yes, uh, yes, actually, um, and I did uh, I did this really <laughs> cringeworthy um, piece to um, to Computer Blue by Prince. Oh yeah, in like a, in like bike shorts, like not even a bike short, like a wrestling singlet bike thing. And like a half top and like with like jazz shoes, and like my two friends were like, body roll!" Like that <laughs> was really it was. Uh, it was the worst, the worst thing ever. And like, I was not—I didn't even know how to dance, like let alone do choreography. And here I am, just kind of let me make a number. Ah, uh, this feels good. <laughs> so hideous, so hideous. And they're like, "Maybe you shouldn't. Don't maybe don't do that one here." Like I couldn't take a hit. Um, (laughs) it was so bad um yeah it was so bad and (laughs) yeah we need to we need if anybody's listening and know
1: anybody that went to uh this university with kevin and maybe has somewhere in the vaults some of these on vhs or anything we Listen. Put put the APB <laughs> out because yeah. <laughs> I ready. To
0: this. <laughs> um, yeah, I can. Well, there's definitely some pieces I can show. I have African Sanctus, which is the white <laughs> black white African Jesus. Um, <laughs> I have that, and I have uh, I have the Jimtari on video. So maybe I'll release that somewhere along here. Okay, um, so. My yeah.
1: plan is, at some point, we're gonna we're gonna make this into a TV show. and <laughs> when when we do have a live studio, we will be showing these clips. <laughs> we might need a box of tissues from laughing so
0: hard, but we're gonna show these clips. <laughs> I mean, just the saggy leotards alone. You know when they're like, like the webbing down below your like to your knees, like uh, (laughs) like a bad, like a bad Spider-Man. There's bad Spider-Man in concert. Um, Yeah. Anyway, I learned from I I learned from that um, that I can do anything I put my mind to. Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the biggest takeaways from that period in my life was uh, I am stronger and more resilient and more capable. Then I even give myself credit for, and in a uh, a dire or difficult or challenging situation, I will rise to the challenge. Um, I don't know that I will always give my all, and I not necessarily always be the best, uh, but i will uh, I will excel.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I had to I had to like really take a lot of it with a grain of salt because again, kids around me excelling left and right, like one of my schoolmates is a, a Japanese astronaut another is like a head of Boeing. Like one is a princess. Like they're like, you know, did, serious. Did you say One is a princess. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck?
1: Throw
0: One's a Japanese astronaut. One's the head of Boeing. One's a princess. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Prince Charles is the head of our school and now it's Queen Nor. Uh, she's the head of the UWC system. Um, so it's it's definitely international kind of vibe um but again when you're in that when you're surrounded by people like that you can't help but either excel and and try to step it up uh, or get really down on yourself it right. <laughs> also happen. um I actually had a bit of a nervous breakdown uh, at the was it I can't remember if it was the end of end of the first semester ish it had to be or maybe it was towards the second oh it was the second year I think it was a second year Mm-hmm. I really had a breakdown and it, there was just so much. Yeah. There was so much pressure on me so much. Um, and I, I had my ACTs, my SATs. I was doing five shows of Fiddler on the roof all at the same time. I was, I typed up my friend's extended essay, 5,000 word essay. Cause she didn't know how to type. So I typed it for her, stayed up all night to do it while I'm also doing my own and also doing my own other essay on history. Um, and then had, uh, yet another dance show on top of that. Um, My parents weren't there. I didn't have any money. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a lot. And then I had some meeting. Oh, I had some meeting with the teachers and they were like, we're disappointed in you. Oh. I'm like, after everything I've been doing, I'm, you know, at this point, I'm just turning 16.
2: Yeah.
0: Or just turning seven, i going into 17. And I was like, I've given everything. I got, I came into this at 15, not knowing the English system. Had, my English teacher came to me and actually asked me, do you know how to write an essay after my first essay? Because it wasn't really an essay. Um, and then he actually taught me what he wanted from me. And then I I did it and I excelled in it. It's like to 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 go from zero to 100 and then hear from my teachers possibly trying to be motivational, aware, you're not living up to our expectations. It was, it, it kind of broke me. It broke me because I was giving so much so, How did you get so through much? It? Uh, I had a couple breakdown moments uh, where I told a good friend of mine to fuck off and hurt her feelings horribly. And thank God we still talk. Um, and I just swore a lot. Because again, swearing, Not I've never sworn at this point in my life, never sworn once out loud. My mom's never sworn. My grandmother's never sworn. Nobody around me's ever swears. Uh, in the english system certainly no one ever swears
2: right.
0: and um you know i'm in, i'm i'm in class and they're asking me questions i'm just sitting there fuming fuming because i had this this meeting and i was like i don't know what the f- i don't know what the fuck everyone wants from me you know and and they asked me some question i literally was just like i don't give a fuck you know like oh well let's ask elizabeth <laughs> like <laughs> ask <your> question. <laughs> he was great he was great because he was like he was like wow oh. That's Elizabeth. <laughs> 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 I was like, I like, fight somebody. Like I was so, I was, I was so I was more angry than I think that I, than I had been. Oh, well, certainly than I'd ever been up to that point. And uh it took it took a lot of a lot of deep breaths, uh, and kind of getting back in tune with what do I want out of this experience. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way I approach these things now even Ah, what do i want out of this experience okay (laughs) Um, sometimes i just want to say
2: fuck
0: (laughs) sometimes that's what i want out of the experience i just want to express that let it go and hear myself heard and i'm done um other times i'm like i'm not looking to antagonize this anymore and me participating like that is not going to help the situation Um, uh, I've learned a lot from watching directors that I admire, mm. who can take really difficult situations and manage them as though it's just like someone telling them, "Oh, we're out of potato chips. Oh, great. Okay, well, let's try um, the pita chips then." Like <laughs> they think it that simple, like it's yeah. that. Meanwhile, it's like, well, we just lost this one million dollar jib, and uh, the, everything's crashed, and we're out of power. And oh, great. Okay, so let's um, let's try. A diet coke then and <laughs> you know and they don't even like it doesn't even hit them here. It's like I wish I could be more like that. Uh I aspire to that. It's not that I can't yeah. be. I aspire to that that sense of of ease and peace around work. Uh, in dance I don't have a problem with it. In in choreography sometimes I get a little wound up and everyone has to pull me back. Um I think because I see it as an art rather than an expression. Mm-hmm. And in art, I want it to be my art and it, it needs to be seen as I see it in my head.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's different. That's different than just the expression and you're seeing what you're seeing. Right. Um, yeah, I, I had to take a step back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I also leaned into segue. I also leaned into dance.
1: Uh-huh. It was your escape at that point. It was your release.
0: It was my escape. It was the one. It was one place where I, I was excelling. One place where I got attention. One place I got to express myself. Get applause. People like loved it. They got excited after a show, you know, or, or a per- per- performance or anything. They would mm-hmm. come out to me all excited, and and I got joy from that. I got mm-hmm. value from that. Not that I value myself because of that, but no, I no. got to see myself in a powerful space rather than comparing myself to these kids who are A plus, A plus, A plus. So I've got a seven on my thing, on my exam. I get a seven, a seven, seven, seven. Here I am, you know, I'm getting the scholarship here and these kids who had apartments in the city and these kids who had drivers and flying off to Europe for the weekend to go skiing or who had, you know, fancy cars or had computers and here I am with barely with the typewriter. Like it was, mm. there's was a lot of comparing, especially when there's 2,000 kids in the school and only 10 of us were on scholarship. So 10 of us Got a free ride in, and it now, I mean, I, I don't I think it's like a hundred grand a year or something for these what? kids. What it's a lot, it's crazy. There's F- Ferraris pulling up and Rolls Royces pulling up with these kids, like it's it's serious. Um, but at the time, again, none of this you can, I didn't know any of this because at the time, you're all wearing uniforms, you don't talk about money with your kids, you don't, they, yeah. the, they don't talk about their parents or how much it was less materialistic for sure back then. Um, it only became known to me later, you know, like the level of of wealth that was in these schools, uh, from like visiting friends. I'm like, oh, there's a house on the bay that you're sharing that's oh you that's your wing. Okay. And that's your <laughs> wing. And and they just bought it for you so you could go to school here. Okay. <laughs> like that, you know, those kind of monies is like wow, that's wow okay. Yeah, that's you know, not anywhere in my experience. But um <laughs> Except except, yeah. except, the lake house with the third floor being yours. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in all of that world, it also showed me, again, that's part of their goal is to show that you're all people. You're yeah. all human. Mm-hmm. You all have a human experience. You're all in a shared experience on this globe, on this earth. Um, and I think it helped having uniforms. I think it really did. I mm. hated it at the time. And I would I fought the whole way. I'm like, I'm gonna wear shorts. Now I'm gonna wear Haratis with my shorts. Now I'm gonna, there's no rules on hair, so I'm gonna cut Chinese swear words in the back of my hair in blue. And like you were a rebel. Just to like I was a rebel because it don't tell me what to do. But now I, I understand. I look back, I'm like, you know what, it made a lot of sense. Because if I had known all these disparities, I I probably would have acted different or interacted differently. And mm. um, but I will say as a scholar there were a lot of expectations
2: mm-hmm.
0: people expected a lot like, oh, you're the you're oh you're on scholarship show me what you got like, what what is this and i think that's also why my teacher was like i'm disappointed in you because i'm like you're he's like you're the scholar you should be showing these other kids what the deal is meanwhile i was just playing catch up um but I, like i said in taking this into the future yeah having having this experience gave me all the tools i need to do, to manage everything in life because nothing in my life has ever been harder than that mm. nothing not a single gig, not a single moment. There's nothing else that's been harder. So it it's a huge lesson to learn that our hardships are the foundation upon which we move forward. Yes. They they are our they are our strength if we let them be. They could also destroy us, but they but more importantly, they can be the foundation on which the rest of our lives are built. Yeah. Um, and I like to I like to choose that viewpoint over the oh it's destroyed me. It's like it could be you know, you could be buried under that cement or you could use that cement as your foundation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> listen, you know? people, listen to the words that this man is saying. This is valuable information. You are <laughs> never you are never buried under anything that is pressuring you down. Flip flip the balance of it. Find out find out how Just to use around. it to your advantage, find out how to make it better, find out how to use it to your advantage so that you can grow from it and go beyond it. It's yeah, I don't want to say it's as simple as that, but it is. You you're only
0: you're only as stuck as you want to be. My friend sent me um my ex sent me this beautiful uh, uh Abraham Hicks video thing today that was mentioning um well there's this woman who was stuck in the idea of well the problem is the problem is this, the problem is that and she was like no 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 no, no. stop saying the word problem the problem only exists in the fact that you're calling it a problem. Mm. The problem only exists in the declaring of it as a problem or even saying now that the problem, you've just created the problem by saying the problem, right? It's not a problem until you say it is, or make it into one or that you have it, you have it as a problem,
1: as a problem, Um, you do nothing to rectify it or move on from it.
0: Yeah. Or just disappear it as a problem. And it's just what is, and you move and take action in the face of it. It's not a problem. It's just, that's what it is. Or that's an issue or it's all about how we relate to the things in our world that empowers or disempowers us. So why wouldn't we choose the things that empower us and that help us move forward and give us a platform to move on in our lives? Um, yeah, I, I credit all of that with being able to manage working with Madonna and, and also the idea of there are no classes, like not lessons, but like there are no classes of people necessarily. There, Mm -hmm. there sort of are out in the world, just these social constructs of classes, but, Again, being in the school with here's you know, this wealthy boy, whatever this person, that person has status, they're from here, they're you know, this related to the royal family, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then going over to Madonna, and it's like I had I didn't have any attention on status of celebrity is above me or different mm-hmm. than me, or they're oh, I should be, oh, I'm a fan, and I'll, 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 I didn't have that sense of difference. Right. And I think that. That, again, allowed me to move through the world of commercial dance with all these pop stars and movie stars and everything on a very solid ground because Mm -hmm. I didn't put everybody on a pedestal and treat them differently than any other human. And it allowed me to be uh, real, personable, human, accessible, uh, and straightforward without all that other stuff in the way.
1: Listen, people, do you hear these words? Authentic, real, accessible. These things have come up in a number of episodes already. And again, it's not just because it's a thing. It's a thing. The more real and authentic you are, the more you define yourself and people are attracted to that versus trying to live the celebrity life or live up to, uh, as Kevin's saying, these pedestal platforms of personas of, oh, it's this person. I want to do this. I want to do that. Okay, okay, yeah, there's so. But at the end of the day, they eat, sleep, and shit just like we do. I'm just like <laughs> we're we're all human, as Kevin's been saying from school. The lesson learned is that no matter what our multi our multifaceted backgrounds are, we're still in this human experience
0: together. 100. percent And there's definitely I I will definitely say this that there are there are stars that love to live into their own hype. Mm-hmm. You know, and some some of them want to be treated oh, like this and with kid gloves and fawn over them. Mm-hmm. Partly because they're trying to create their own legacy or their own legend, or they're trying to make up for some lack of ego or self worth. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few of them, but usually they're the youngest ones. Usually yeah. they're just about on that trajectory, and so they're trying to grasp at any clout they have, you know, just to have it, and also sometimes to put others down so they feel bigger and better. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like that necessarily. I don't certainly buy into it very much. But I will say that the most uh, Sort of iconic and uh, long-running stars and celebrities that have this sort of legendary status don't have that. Yeah. They don't have that. They, they 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 let that go. Like they they're not locked into needing to find more self-worth by putting other people down or any of that. And, I, and for me, again, I found that they uh, that those people in those positions often really appreciate people just being real. It's straightforward. Yeah. Because they don't get a lot of that. So you know, they get a lot of sycophants and yes people and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff.
1: Okay. So you brought her name up a couple times, Madonna. You started dancing for her when she when you were 19? 19. 20. 20. 20. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see this right now, but he's literally searching for the number in his room. Okay. (laughs) So, so you finished Singapore school at 17. You're on tour. You haven't taken any formalized dance classes yet. How did we get from being, (laughs) I'm just going to keep calling it out for what it is. Uh, Asian flipping Harachi wearing black Jesus with swords off of a wall, (laughs) non-dancer dancer dancer, into being 20 years old and going on tour with Madonna for the blonde ambition tour.
0: Uh, well, back in singapore (laughs) um, back in singapore uh after doing all those shows Mm -hmm. uh, i decided oh i want to learn something that i want to learn rather than just doing whatever these people are telling me so i over the summer i happened to see Janet jackson's nasty video and i loved the choreography thought it was so cool so i recorded it i played it in the in the in the mirror on video when i got to school in singapore uh i went home for the summer Mm-hmm. And uh, I played it in the mirror. I taught it to myself, and then I performed it at school. And after that, after that performance, I walked outside, and one of the English teachers was out there, and she just was like, "I just have to tell you, that's not really dancing." You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm still sweating. I'm like, I'm still like, I'm like, literally like, still sweating from the performance. And that's not really dancing. There's real dancers out there in the world, and that's not real dance. Real dance has technique and line and all the blah, blah, blah and all this. Stuff. So just to, just so you know, and I was just like, "Why?" In my head, I'm like, "Why the fuck are you telling me this? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you?" Why would we even need to express that? Because she was like, jealous. I mean, I suppose maybe she just was a, a fan of like modern dance or like contemporary. Well, contemporary didn't even exist at that point, but or ballet. Maybe she was a ballet aficionado, and it just stuck with me. Like, like, well, why the fuck are you telling me this? But two, well, I'll show you. Yeah. When I get the chance, and so when I got to when I got to LA to USC, I started taking dance as my gym elective because I was like, well, let me see what this is about. Ah, uh-huh. and uh, it was a small class, and it was I was like one of two guys, and everyone else was girls. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to well, not going to do this as a as a work. But I'm just going to I'm going to yeah. see what this is about, right? Uh, and so I jumped in wholeheartedly, and it was easy for me from the beginning. Like she just had to tell me what to do. Head roll this way, okay. Head roll that way. I mean, the thing I've been you know struggling with for my life is like drop the shoulders, mm-hmm. get lower. Drop the shoulders, get lower. You know, I hear my teacher, Mark Lawrence, in my head, telling him, you know, shoulders back, shoulders back and down, drop lower, lower, jazz, jazz, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: But those those things, I still, those are the things that I still have to remind myself of. Everything else is like, put your leg here. Okay, turn this way. Okay, turn that way. Oh, I, I got it. Um, and so I took class for a year and I took a year off to go travel, which never happened. Uh, and in that year, I took off. I just took classes because one of the teachers at USC offered me a scholarship at his his dance studio, Mark Lawrence. uh, And I would just go there and take as many classes as I could uh, while I was biding my time. And that was probably the most interesting, fun thing I had to do during the day. Um, Mm. So by the end, I had run out of money and um, didn't really know what to do. And I heard that uh, Julie McDonald was having an audition for her agency. And I went and I auditioned, and she signed me. And then the next day, I got another audition for Debbie Gibson. And then I went to that audition, and then I booked it, and I did the job the next week.
1: Which which um, which
0: Debbie Gibson job was that? Electric Youth. Electric Youth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the power, feel the energy. Uh, yes, and it was more money than I had seen in months. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I was living off of nothing uh like really nothing and starving sometimes um that was amazing to me that i could actually earn money and have fun and be on this amazing thing and my parents thought it. it was on mtv they were like they're videotaping it and they were excited for it And i was like oh i'm making my parents proud i'm having a good time um and so i was like this is what i want to do i want to dance like no i can make money at this um so from there, I kind of had a, a crazy summer of trying to work, mm-hmm. but of course I looked like I was 10 and had a highlighted <laughs> bullet and was wearing bike shorts and my leg warmers and half tops and like that, that guy. <laughs> and, um, yeah, no, really, really that guy, because I thought that's what dancers are supposed to wear. I just, just that's key to to success in life as well was that it was the moment in which i let go of what i thought i was supposed to do because that's what i saw out there and Mm -hmm. just started doing and being who i was and authentically and who i wanted whatever dressing however the fuck i wanted to dress like no matter what the job or place um and just being boldly myself and unexpectedly myself like yeah doing jazz in wingtips from the 40s and and a new wave jacket like people were like what and first of all they were like, how are you doing that in those shoes yeah. but second they're like who are you what's going on over here like I didn't follow any rule of style at all I mm-hmm. just was like this is what I like I'm gonna wear it here I am in my cashmere sweater <laughs> <laughs> you know like like it didn't matter to me I was like I, I give up like that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do these half tops and they're not working for me. I don't like it. You know, they're it's fine for class, but that's not who I am out in the world. And mm-hmm. who I am out in the world is like, I was Mr. Thrift Store. You know, I was Mr. Rayon 40s shirts. I was meets my new wave, chams, merry-go-round outfits. Like that was me out in the real world. I'm like, I'm going to be, who I am out in the real world is who I'm going to be here now. Yeah. Uh, in front of everybody. And that's when I started booking.
1: Nice. That's when I started getting hired. Because you're your authentic self and that's what people want.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It took nice. a, it took a while to to realize that, and also mm-hmm. I had a photographer cut off my mullet, just not even telling me. He was just like, "Can I do a little trim?" And he was just like, "I was like, okay, sure." And he was just like, "What?" I was like,
1: <laughs> "Okay, let's his, let's like, just rewind for a fact for a moment that you just slipped
0: in the fact that you had a mullet. <laughs> oh, I had a real mullet. Oh, it was like big in the front and like curly out down the back. Yeah, it was." Oh, the yeah. 80s
1: were a wonderful time of year.
0: <laughs> it was a lot. It was, it was bigger than I was. If you see the picture, it's like, it's like shoulders, neck, mullet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what others? What other type of... Uh, I didn't know you did Electric Youth with Debbie. Who else did you? What other type of... Okay, I'm sorry. I've got
0: like 13 questions at once. So who was the agent that you auditioned for? Julia McDonald. She was the first dance Julie! agent in Los Angeles. Yeah, Julie. Same, same Julie that you know now. Yeah. Uh, and she, uh, yeah, she was, uh, she, you know, was the vanguard of agents. Like there was no dance agents until her. Um, there was no coordination. Everything was just kind of like Hollywood Reporter and Variety and you'd find out about from from friends and it was like word of mouth. Then you'd get hired that way. And like Julie, Julie really created an industry
1: wow i didn't realize that her history went back that far
0: oh yeah oh yeah she was a dancer i think she opened her agency in 88 or 87
1: yeah for those that don't know julie mcdonald is one of the founding partners of msa mcdonald's next agency which is one of the largest dance agencies there's block block clear and msa and msa go to yeah and go to go to talent now yeah yeah Oh, they all yeah. switch up, but nice so so julie found you and was like
0: okay let's get let's get them working what else yeah. what else what she, what other she, i'm sorry go ahead she believed me from and she, she believed in me from the very beginning and she's i mean i mean she's always in my heart you know she even you know she got me my sag card early on like that same year uh just because michael peters was looking for somebody i think she proposed me to michael peters or vince patterson had mentioned her because i had Auditioned for him for Diana Ross, and he had been talking about me. Something, some weird little roundabout. I should ask her what yeah. how that happened. Like, <laughs> so yeah, so in in that whole summer, I, I you know I've talked about this a few times, but I I I didn't work, I didn't eat, like mm-hmm. I was out of money. I I, I raided a, a craft service at a friend's movie to eat. I subbed my I shoved all my is full of food because I hadn't eaten for three days. Um, and my mom made me get a job. She insisted, and so I got a job at Taco Bell which is funny because now I work for Taco Bell. I do their corporate events. Want to know something really and funny? No. <laughs> Taco Bell
1: was my advertising client when I worked in advertising.
0: Oh my God. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> They're fun. I I really, I really like Taco Bell. I love you, Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah even now, even now I still, I'm like inexplicably connected to Taco Bell. Uh, and then I, I worked there a couple of days and then I came home and on my answering machine, answering machines, novel um <laughs> i i had gotten i had auditioned the past couple of weeks and i got all the jobs i had auditioned for i had seven jobs i got all in that same what? like voicemail yeah and i was like one after the other and i never went back to talk about i never returned my my uniform nothing i was like i didn't pick up the check i was just like i'm out of here <laughs> i mean nothing wrong with Taco about let me talk about but you know, I got a I got a movie with Jerry Evans. I got like two commercials, a TV show, like two industrials. It was video and industrial. It was it was all at once on the same day, and I was like, "This is insane!" Uh, and from that moment, I really didn't stop working. Uh, and I got, nice. uh, I got this is maybe beginning of October, so right before my birthday. Happy birthday! It was amazing. Uh, I think in December or January it was somebody or maybe it was December that we auditioned for Madonna and then we had Christmas vacation that we started up in February or end of January. It was something, there was a little bit of a time in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, you know, I had been working solid for like maybe two and a half months when I got Madonna's call. Um, and I, I, was hired as associate choreographer, not dancer until we were in the Vogue video. And there was another dancer named Kevin that they fired, uh, to bring me in as a dancer also. Um, I Wait, think that was so made, And again, that,
1: you were, <laughs> you were hired as associate choreographer for Madonna. Yeah. After two years of training in Los Angeles from taking an yeah. elective gym class at USC. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just, just exactly. connecting the dots for people because this is <laughs> timeline again. Just okay. So, and then yep. you have Michael Peters telling you you're too good, Uh, scale it back. Okay. So we now know. what level you're at okay so we see what you're doing okay
0: (laughs) booking seven jobs at once on one day (laughs) i didn't really consider myself really polished until after that tour Mm -hmm. i learned so much about performance and staging and spacing i i sucked all that information up also from jose and lewis with vogue which about presentation and, and owning your own strength and your own power and know, taking a center stage and also from, from Vince Patterson, which is really about learning that every movement is an opportunity for communication. And if it's not, if you're not clear on what communication you're giving, it's a missed opportunity. Yes. So every single thing, every single movement he has is to direct the eye and there's a reason for it. And so when I look at movement and dance, especially with choreography, now I also am always look for why, why is this movement there? It's not always necessarily comfortable. Doesn't necessarily like have to make sense to the dancer if as long as it makes sense to the viewer and how it lands on the audience and what if impact it has on the sort of energetic arc of what I'm trying to put them through experientially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned all that from from Vince. I learned to dance from the inside while observing myself from the outside. Ooh. That sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense.
1: It's beautiful yeah. as and well. That
0: that that then gave me the ability to find my shot know where the camera is know when that moment is know how to grab my whatever moment it is that i'm in Mm -hmm. uh and how to be fully in it in character and give them what they want like i pay attention to what are they trying to create it's not about me trying to be seen or, or me trying to give the most right it's about Am, am I giving them what they need? What is this shot trying to achieve? And how can I assist that and help that and make that happen? And because I'm in that mindset of giving them what they want, not about trying to find whatever I want out of this shot, mm-hmm. because I'm looking for what they want, then I usually end up in the shot. I usually end up in the cut, even, because I'm in the character, I'm in the space, and I'm I'm trying to give what they want, not giving whatever I feel like I want to give uh
1: i love hearing this because uh, i try and tell my students this so much and i'm the exact same way i don't i don't need to be in the front or whatsoever i don't need to say i can do this trick i just, you want me to do something ask me i'll do it but otherwise than that i'm gonna be over here just chilling because i deliver when i'm supposed <laughs> to. And, but again it's oh, not, but, okay. <laughs> it's, yeah but that's the thing it's not but it's not about me it's not it's not about me trying to be a diva or trying to take over the scene it's as you said, for me, I, and I did, I, I learned, uh, you said the reason why I love what you said is so beautiful that I learned to dance from the inside or watch myself from the outside. I, I had the same thing. I didn't grow up as a technical dancer. I grew up in hip hop and in house and in vogue. Like I grew up on the non-studio side of it, but because I knew how to move my body, I could put my body in these positions of linear quality from jazz and ballet and stuff like that. So it's just all, it's just all that, when, when you know how to, when you know how to be you, you know, how to use your body, that's when it's dance. Even if it's choreography, then you're dancing the choreography. You can give the choreographer or the director, the image that they want and they see it because you're not trying to emulate, or as we talked about before, regurgitate information because I'm a pretty little, I'm a pretty little soldier. I, you gave me this information. I can just give it back to you.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, the, over the years, like the game has changed for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, well, I'll, let's say first, um, I will say that for younger dancers, there's a, again, the, the value of being committed to who you are in the piece cannot be underestimated because there's been so many moments where <laughs> I'm not focused at the camera, or I'm not focused trying to get my shot, but I'll be focused on the artist and giving that relationship all the energy, Mm -hmm. and that's and that's what's captivating for the camera or for the viewer from the outside. Not I'm giving it to you because that's inauthentic. That's not you're not in the scene. If you're out here, you're not in the scene. But if you can be fully invested in this relationship as real and this moment is real. Then people are naturally drawn to that that reality. Mm-hmm. You actually sell that reality more than just here I am. Look at yeah. <laughs> me. Um, yeah. The game has changed for me. <laughs> the game has changed a little bit for me because it's it's so familiar for me now working with camera and everything that I always, especially on videos, I I play games with kind of knowing where the camera is, what's capturing where. And kind of relaxing out of camera. But then when the camera is right there, swooshing somebody into the camera and they get your shot, like (laughs) not choreographed wise, but just freestyling in a way that captures the shot as the camera's moving this way. You're passing through camera, you're swiping through camera just in time to reveal your face that you're kind of having fun at whatever those little moments are. (laughs) I play those games. (laughs) I, I, I play those games with my partners. So we'll be dancing, we'll be dancing, okay, I'm gonna dip you in three, one, two, here's the camera, three. <laughs> 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 and then we have a good kiki about it the whole like afterwards, the whole time. Then it becomes a game of like, let's yeah. give them what they want. I know this shot is gonna work for them. Let's make this shot happen out of nowhere. But it's they're still... not even looking for it, but they're gonna get it. <laughs> but that's
1: the thing, because because you because you also now know how to give that. Again, it's not about yeah. It's not about the me, me, me still. It's still at the end of it. It's not about the me, me, me. It's about knowing and understanding how to frame the
0: work of it, which is and, an art in and itself. that's also so telling about life. Mm-hmm. It's about what you give, not what you're trying to get. And people Boom. lose sight of that. People lose sight of that. The more you give, the more you're going to get back. Mm-hmm. And also just the act of giving is the generosity is self-fulfilling. Like the giving is in in the process of giving gives you satisfaction, Mm -hmm. appreciation, whatever. But if you're trying to get something, a it's probably never going to be enough. (laughs) Um, (laughs) just life, life lessons. Um, you can aspire to things. You can, you know, excel at things, but the things that we should try to, to create, not get, Mm -hmm. there's a distinction there to create, not get, are are things that are not necessarily physical like like getting a car isn't really going to do anything for you but being happy or being expressed or being creative or you know all those those sort of things that you can be successful in any area of your life in those realms with and all the other stuff of having this car or having this apartment or having this house or having this you know this watch those are temporal things and really ultimately don't have the value that you think they do. No. Um, and I really hope that young artists who are looking at the world and what's ahead of them will, will, will realize that, uh, that the value in their art uh, is, doesn't, shouldn't be gauged by accolades or money or things or objects or physical objects. The value of art is in the expression of art and if you're really authentic and in tune with that and expressing yourself, you can't help but be happy. Um, and if you are happy and expressed and joyful in what you're doing and really committed to what you're doing, those other things will follow. They will mm-hmm. follow. They will come. But they cannot be the goal. They cannot be the goal or you will just shoot yourself in the foot right from the get-go. Especially in this realm and world. Like we're... Like, material things are so, you know, valued and sought of thought after. And and we, we value ourselves by this sort of gauge of likes and, 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 and belongings. And as an artist, especially as a dancer, choreographer, like that has to be the last thing on your list. You have to do this out of love and for love. And again, the, the, the shift of getting into generosity is super, super important. I've seen people limit themselves by there's a, there's a quote that I've heard somewhere before. It was like the hustler mentality is about what, what can you do for me? Mm -hmm. What can you do for me? Uh, And that only gets you a paycheck or a dollar or what can you give me? What can you do for me? Mm -hmm. Um, And that the mindset of an an entrepreneur is how can I create value? That has to be first and foremost, A hustler mentality with art is only going to get you very, very short little steps in life. An entrepreneur's mentality of creating value will get you everywhere and anywhere because the value, because value can be created at any moment by yourself. Like Whether it's good experience, bad experience, money, no money, you can create value. And so you will be fulfilled and you will be successful no matter where whatever gauges, outside gauges of success may seem to other people of of earning money or having this or getting this job or getting this Oscar. It's really just about, it's really just about, I'm totally off my train of thought.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, this is what having years of experience of finding yourself as well as working industry gives you because you now understand, like, yeah, let's just let's just let's just leave it at that. Like this, that was that was I'm I'm, I'm walking on very
0: abstract ground right here. No, but <laughs> it's, so it's hard to it's hard to grasp.
1: But it's but it's not even abstract. Like the words the words have so much weight to them that there it doesn't there doesn't need to be a uh what's the word I'm looking for, uh con- a connecting, grounding endpoint to it because it all has it all has it all has, i can't even find my words
0: now <laughs> <laughs> well here here here's the bottom line here's, what i guess what i was trying to say is that it's it's really all about personal power value yes. opportunity those are our own creations we have control over those things and looking back into my my school years and my horrible time in milwaukee all of those could have been destructive horrible things that destroyed my life and instead they weren't They became opportunities. They became valuable life experiences that gave me all the tools I need for my life ahead. And I also want to bring up, like, anyone who's in, whoever has, like, suicidal thoughts or thoughts of self-harm or thoughts of, like, this will never change, that those are illusions those are all illusions everything changes the one thing that will constantly change is time and the very things that that cause our suffering are the things that 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 give us our strength in the future so even though we suffer right now and that suffering is self imposed we create we are the authors of our own suffering like things will shift in the future and that will become the foundation upon which you will soar will be the wind, the wind beneath your wings. Seriously, you know, and I, I say that because I know a couple, a couple people in my life who have had some issues with that right now, and it, and it, it just dawns on me like if there's anything I've learned, the things that are the hardest in my life and the most challenging in my life are the things I would never ever change because they've given me the wisdom to be the person I am today and the calm to know that that there's nothing I can't handle. Mm-hmm. You know, i I still go through challenges. It's not like, oh yeah, my life is perfect. Like it's not like that at all. I suffer. I but I also am aware that I I cause myself to suffer,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I have control over that. And I have con- control over the value in my life and the opportunity in my life. And I want the, I want young artists to know that they can create value and opportunity from everything, mm-hmm. absolutely everything. Um, and I always go back to this little quote that came from Khalil Gibran, I believe that was like that the the vessel of our suffering no the vessel of our joy is carved by our suffering the vessel of our joy is carved by our suffering so the greater we suffer the greater joy we have the greater joy we can experience as well um yeah so so don't give up and and uh and realize that every experience you have is is the material with which you create your art love it
1: love Ah. it so much good stuff we had to split it in two part two of gamble's green room episode 23 with guest kevin stay is ready for your listening pleasure load it up press play dive in let's go